The League of Women Voters and the Recording Library of West Texas present Tall City Elections. Here are your hosts, Abby Wiggum and Trish Spate. Hi, welcome to another episode of Tall City Elections Podcast. I'm Abby. This program is dedicated to providing information about the upcoming local elections as we make it accessible to our listeners who are visually impaired. The Tall City Elections 2019 podcast is a collaboration between the Recording Library of West Texas and the League of Women's Voters. We want to thank all of our supporters for helping us make this possible. So today with us co-hosting is Trish Spate. I'm here. And we have a special guest with us, Dan Corrales. Thank y'all for having me. Thank you for being here. So Dan is running for city council, District 4, correct? Yes. Wonderful. Well, why don't we just start out with some basic questions? Tell our listeners who you are, where you come from, what you do, why you're running. Well, it's good to be home in West Texas. I started out at Crockett and graduated a Bulldog. Used the A-Bell Hanger when it was called the A-Bell Hanger to go to Midland College. Spent some of my time up in New York City working on my undergrad. Like a lot of people in their 20s in Midland, I kind of wanted to get away for just a little bit. You got far away. Yeah. Um, I was working as a fire safety director, and um, unfortunately, I saw the planes hit the building on 9-11. Oh, wow. being a fire safety director, I had had a shared a few beers with the local firehouse, and I saw Ladder 118 going across the Brooklyn Bridge. Six of those men on that truck didn't come back, um, so I ended up signing up for the U.S. Army. And while I was serving, I suffered a gunshot wound. Uh, I lost some bone in my hip, and muscles, nerves in my hand. I was pretty much early retirement, but I made the best. Out of a bad situation, I used the GI Bill to go to law school. Ended up working as a prosecutor in the largest district attorney's office in the country, in addition to the U.S. attorney's office. Being a glutton for punishment, I actually wanted to get a master's in law and sports law. And so I practiced in uh, Spain and in Switzerland for a year and ended up coming back home. Met my wife at Wall Street Bar and Girl in 2014. And not too long after, we were married at 60 Center Street in New York City, where they filmed 12 Angry Men. And she thinks, of course, an attorney would pick that courthouse. (laughs) So we came to Midland to start our family. We have a 10-year-old, Eli, and he has uh, autism. He goes to Bynum School, so we're proud Bynum parents. My wife at the time had been working for her parents in the dry cleaning business, and I built pristine organic cleaners for her so that we could have dinner in peace. Because when she was working for them, that made it a little tough. And I also helped them with uh, the golden chick over off of Florida. Initially, I came to practice. And oil was at 100 a barrel in 2014. And then, of course, as soon as I get here, the bottom fell out quite literally. And a lot of those government jobs were hard to come by. So I agreed to help build that golden chick. And I had eight years of development experience in Brooklyn. So for me, it wasn't a foreign thing, just a different way of doing it in Midland. Midland's kind of an anomaly. Everything else, business principles, other things that apply everywhere else, when you get here, you kind of have to understand it didn't work that way. And so the learning curve for some people, uh, they, they don't understand the culture. But being from here, I kind of already knew that. So we built the cleaners, I built Golden Chick, and now we're thinking, what's the next step? What do we want to do? And then Jay Ross Lacey announced that he was going to be running for the House. And then John Love is now running for the Senate. So being on the city council maybe qualifies you for federal government. I don't know. (laughs) 
Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> but <laughs> I just thought that in light of the economy and where Midland is heading, there's explosive growth. And there's going to be some ups and downs. But I think generally, once the export ban on oil was lifted, Texas tea is sipped around the world. And this will never be the little town I grew up in again. I saw E.T. at the Ritz Theater. Mm. You know, I remember performing at the MLK Center. And, you know, it was great. We had a farm there the other night. And my grandmother had actually broken ground on that building when she was on the city council. Wow. When it was the Northeast Y. What was your grandma's name? Oralia Corrales. Yeah, I remember her. I'm a lot, I'm older than y'all. So. <laughs> that's okay. I was born in the 70s. <laughs> I'm, I'm up there. Well, I, know, I, I just think that, that so that's pretty interesting. Did she, Because of a family tradition, did you, is that why you think you thought about running for city council? Part of it. My grandmother was my guardian. She raised me uh, from 12 years of age uh, up until her untimely demise, unfortunately. And she had instilled a great sense of civic duty. Uh, It's one of the reasons why I served in the military. It's one of the reasons I served as a prosecutor. 50,000 bucks a year in Manhattan. You're eating a whole lot of ramen noodles. Oh, Uh, yeah. Do you live in a closet? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) You put one foot in the apartment and you've seen everything. But that's just a different way of life. Totally. People ask, well, why'd you come back to Midland? And part of that, predominantly, I'd say, is just family. I feel safer here for the most part. My son, because of his autism in a large city, there's a lot of sensory issues, safety issues where he can dart off. We have a 15-year-old in drama, brings home a lot of drama. But, (laughs) you know, for us, it's just a sense of community in Midland that I grew up with. I'm not a political animal. I was not a poli-sci major. I was a business major. And then with my two law degrees, it was never really something in the back of my head until I saw how many people on the council were going to be coming up, or I should say lack of. The incumbents in District 2, 3, and 4 will not be there. And possibly the mayor's race. You know, We don't know what's going to happen there. Mm-hmm. But when I think about the direction the city's headed and the leadership that we need, Experience says a lot. I was talking to Jose Cuevas about it. He served on District 2 after my grandmother did. And he said, can you imagine me opening Jumburrito on a Saturday with seven people and four of them knew? How well do you think that would turn out? Yeah. And that really struck me because that's genuine. We need people that have a skill set that would be in the best benefit of Midlanders. And so when I look at my construction experience, I'm very familiar with submitting an application, getting permits, getting inspections. What are the hurdles that we can overcome? Apply some context to it. As far as being an attorney, I'll admit I'm a bit of a nerd. I went down to the law library at the county courthouse and read the municipal code. But that's because I have an interest in understanding how does something function Mm -hmm. in order for me to actually use it to the best of its ability. Know what my limits are jurisdictionally. Um, The city council only handles issues with the municipality. It doesn't handle things on a county level. Now, that's not to say you can't bridge relationships and work with other people. I had the... I was very fortunate that uh, House Representative Craddock gave me um, about two hours of his time and thought what I had to say uh, made a lot of sense. And I hope to elaborate a little bit more on that here. But the issues that we face are are enormous. Mm -hmm. If you look at how things have gone, historically speaking, 
we're in a position where we are because we did not address certain issues. And the first step in fixing a problem is identifying it and understanding what not to continue to emulate. What do you change? How do you do this better? I learned that in the military. You'd have an after-action report. I uh, certainly learned it in the district attorney's office. If you lose a case, you really want to go back and see. <laughs> yeah, you've got what... a, some some work to do there, definitely. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at, okay, where where are we in Midland? What are the issues? Safety? After what happened here, you know, over a month and a half ago, I'm, I'm a little I'm scared. I'll be honest. Uh, after the shooting in El Paso, I had sat down with our two kiddos and my wife, and I said, you have to have situational awareness. Now, I tend to have a little bit more of that because of my military, military background. Yeah. But I said, when you go into a theater, you need to pay attention to those exit signs. You need to know where to go. If you hear something, don't go back it through the main entrance. That's the last place that you want to be. And then, lo and behold, we have this event that transpired here. And then I look at the first responders you know, we're short 40 plus firefighters, 40 plus police officers. And I know other candidates have different numbers. But when I say those numbers, I'm not just talking about the statistics on what we are missing right now. Per capita, if you talk to any policeman, woman, or a firefighter, the chiefs of either one, they'll say, with the population that we have, the numbers that we're talking about that we're missing are not nearly enough. We need more than that. I think that that's a question we've been asking each candidate. So we'll we'll like that's nice dovetail right there on that to that subject as a person on city council as a city council representative of district 4. What are some ideas you have about filling those vacancies? We have to focus on our needs and not necessarily the wants. Uh prioritize. And my wife will tell me, "We need milk in the refrigerator. You want a power tool." Go to AGB first, get what we need, and then we'll see what's left over. So when I look at, for example, $575,000 for Wi-Fi in a park, and then you think about what could that have been used for, that's about 10 salaries. That's 10 first responders that we could have had. We also need to look at what's been budgeted for. These people that are missing that we do not have these spots filled Well, there's already money budgeted for those positions. And if we're not filling them, why not use that money either for perhaps a retention bonus or also, you know, there's a lot of firefighters that are nearing the age of retirement. But I think if we approach them in the right way and incentivized it, we can keep them on just a little bit longer until we're past this crisis. But if you also look at when I worked in a DA's office, there was a three-year commitment. If we're going to invest the time to train you and keep you here, you had to sign a retention clause so that they understood you were going to give back. And we train a lot of personnel. And unfortunately, there's kind of a, a revolving door policy sometimes where they leave and we're stuck with the bill. And so I think if we're up front and explain to them, we're, we're looking for a commitment from you here if, if you would like to serve this city. And please understand that if we're going to train you and put all of these resources into you, we do expect some reciprocity. I think that's fair. But we also have to look in the long term, right? This is something that's just going to solve our immediate crisis. But we need to work on keeping our staff here. And it's not just first responders. I was very fortunate in that when we opened Pristine Organic Cleaners, I procured the contract for the city. 
And so I interacted with wastewater department, with garage, with PD, with so many different ones. And I think sometimes we have to put emphasis on all of our city workers being integral to the city operating. I mean, sanitation, that's a health hazard. You know, a lot of the garbage, a lot of people say, you know, look at all of the dumpsters, look at all of the garbage that's accumulating. And so the housing then becomes the solution, the seed. Where, where is it starting? For all of those positions that mm-hmm. need to be filled, people need a place to live. So we've heard a lot about housing. What is the role the that you see the city playing in that? Because we've had like people say the city shouldn't be involved in the housing industry, but... The city is involved because you do permits and and zoning and all that kind of stuff. I'd like to offer a bit of a distinction on that. I don't think the city should be involved in housing as far as being a landlord. I don't think the government has any business owning any housing, any buildings. I think it should be a way to facilitate development and my experience constructing, you know, commercially has opened my eyes as to how we can do that. So if you look at, for example, some of the things that are integral to that, the International Construction Code, it gets updated every now and then, and then the city adopts it. So there was a 2018 Construction Code that the city put into place, and there was a requirement for inspectors. Now, I know this because I talked to other people in the industry, and this is what they're saying. Well, there was a five-year experience requirement. And the city omitted it completely when they passed it. Hmm. Now, if you're a developer and you're on a site and someone that, you know, you don't know from Adam walks over and doesn't have any experience and is telling you the way you're doing it is wrong, that's not going to go so well. You need inspectors that have experience. Now, granted, it's tough to hire personnel here. But why not meet halfway? Why not two and a half years? At the very least, one year of experience. So that way, these inspectors are also not part of the delay. But on the other hand, if you ever went into the DPS when they had the plastic (laughs) driver's licenses and you filled out an application and you filled it out incorrectly, they kicked it back to you. Mm -hmm. Okay, And then if you continue to not fill it out correctly, maybe there was a language barrier, but whatever reason, until you filled it out the way that they wanted it, it really didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And when I look at the engineers and the architects that are being used, for example, with Golden Chick, they were based out of Austin. So they would submit site plans and things with ordinances that were not Midland ordinances. Mm -hmm. They are not familiar with the way we build things here. And as I said, it's an anomaly. And you have to understand the culture of development. Yes, you may prefer to go with someone in a larger metropolitan area, but you have to be cognizant of the fact that the way things are built here work a little differently. And you can streamline that process of having local engineers, local architects that understand the local laws, and then submit the application, have it come back to you. There's one developer that had his application back in eight weeks. Mm-hmm. The fastest they've ever had it. But it's because they ended up using someone that was local as opposed to their previous application using someone that wasn't. And therein lies part of the problem. It's twofold. The city could do more, but so could the developers. I don't think the fault lies with just one person. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I'm an attorney. I like the scales of justice and I'm a little biased in that everyone has an equal role in when things go right or when they go wrong. Just accept responsibility and understand there's 
multiple ways to resolve this. It has to be multifaceted. There's not going to be just one thing that makes it all that much easier. It's addressing the multitude of issues. So District 4 is the far, I'm going to say you start in the north out by the Tom Craddock Highway, right? Like Mm -hmm. just south of that is where District 4 starts. And it goes all the way down the west side of Midland um, and includes the airport. It's an interesting district. That's where a lot of the new growth has been in Midland. And I know that one issue that the the city's been involved in is Hillcrest Acres or Hillcrest something. Village. Um, <laughs> Village. Hillcrest Acres. Well, I just renamed it. Hillcrest Village is would be in District 4. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that project? Yes. This was something that I was discussing at a debate the other day. When you are going to construct something that is of a different magnitude than what's there, Mm -hmm. you have to take into account the impact that's going to have on that community from many different levels, not just with the residents that are there and whether that line of sight from that building is invasive to them, whether it's a towering structure that's juxtaposed with one-story single-family housing, You also have to take a look at the traffic. You know, one of the things that people complain about, aside from the roads, is the cars on the roads. Oh, everybody likes to complain about traffic. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know that that intersection, as of now, Mm -hmm. can really handle the volume of traffic that's going to be generated. Because typically with development, you think of it in stages. So we create housing. What's going to follow? Businesses. Businesses that want to cater to that housing. So you may find people wanting to build restaurants, people wanting to build maybe a Dollar General or some other type of store, and then you're going to have even more traffic. So it's kind of like a planetesimal feeding on itself with gravity. It just continues to draw more and more in. And you have to think ahead how to mitigate that. Don't just say, well, we're going to build this 200 apartment complex and everything else around it is going to remain the same. No, there has to be long-term thinking. And sometimes, you know, that's difficult because the costs involved with that can be unpopular. Mm -hmm. If you were going to improve the roads, there has to be some tax money. But when you talk to property owners, they don't want to pay any more taxes. They're kind of tired of it. Mm -hmm. But that brings me to another issue that I think is with the recent approval of the budget, a hot button issue for many residents. I sat through many of those city council meetings and people just don't want to pay any more property tax. But then when you look at why are we in the position that we're in, it's because we didn't devote enough resources to those things. So how do you solve that issue? How do you do more with less? Well, efficiency making sure that things are not done once or twice. There was a road, unfortunately, behind the hospital that they had repaved and found there was a water line that broke and then had to dig up that road and and redo it. And some of those emergencies, there's nothing you can do about that. So I don't think there's a whole lot of blame there. But I think looking at the infrastructure problem we have in the Perryman report, there's over $500 million of infrastructure. Now, after building here in Midland, 
That's not just a word that I pay lip service to. I've seen it. I know what's underneath that ground. You have sewage lines. You have water lines. You have gas lines. You have telecom. I don't think Midlanders really understand everything that is underneath there and how old some of it really is. Yeah. Even the materials that are used. They're like this old clay or some 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 brittle, brittle media. And then when you try to repair that, you have to go down to the next length. And so it just gets you know worse and worse. But getting back to how do you solve that issue with, with, with taxes? I was proposing to use the quarter cent sales tax. So if someone from Lubbock comes here and spends 100 bucks at dinner, 25 cents goes into the city coffers. If someone from Dallas comes here and spends $40, 10 cents goes into the city coffers. Now, we have a lot of people that come to Midland that spend money here. But they don't pay any property taxes because they don't reside here. Right. Whether, so you're, you're, you think a sales a increase in sales tax would be a good idea? I think it would spread the cost okay. of repairing the infrastructure across the board. Because the one of the other alternatives is to raise property taxes to fix it. But if we're playing catch up from roads that have been neglected, how much do you think you'd have to raise those property taxes to to really encompass all of that? It would be substantial. And so your district does include the airport. And so I'm thinking about we've got an airport issue right now with parking. Do you have any thoughts on if should we be bringing in private companies to provide parking and then they would pay us some property tax money? It's something to entertain. I have had the good fortune of living in a lot of metropolitan areas in Barcelona, in New York City, in Portland, Oregon. And the way that they solve a lot of their problems is kind of unique. But sometimes you don't have to redesign the wheel. If you look at what other cities have done and emulate that, well, there's the answer. Sure. And so I think if you were to bring in someone that could develop it and manage it better because they're managing it like a business for profitability – but you have a, a tax base mm -hmm. that may facilitate getting the parking taken care of, considering it's it's not going to go away. I think right. if we have a dip in our economy, immediately people think that that's a resolution to the problem. Well, we don't have to address housing anymore. We've just laid off 4,000 people and they're moving away until the next mini boom, if you want to call that. Yeah. Um, you're, you're not preparing you're kind of just passing the buck. And for me, you asked, why do I want to serve? Well, because I have two kids in the house and I do not want to give them a briefcase full of bricks. I want to give them the baton with a running start and do the best that I can to provide a better city mm -hmm. for the generations to come. A vision is an important thing to have when you're running for office. Do you have any thoughts uh, when we are talking about the future of the city? A lot of our listeners use public transportation. So what would your vision be for what public transportation will look like 10, 15 years from now? We hear a lot from our listeners about some inefficiencies with Easy Rider. And they would like that improved. Do you think the city... Probably, I think we can all agree it was it was awesome to get public transportation, but I don't think that even when they conceived of Easy Rider, that it, they knew that Midland was going to grow to the size it is now mm -hmm. and have all the people and the cars and the traffic and everything. And so I'm curious if you have any thoughts on public transportation. Yes. 
having lived in multiple cities where that is pretty much how everyone travels to and from work to and from you know recreational activities and i have to i'm gonna because you have lived a lot of places i am going to ask you a question have you ever lived anywhere where everybody loved the public transportation and there was no complaints about it you're never going to satisfy everyone that's that's one of those myths that there's no way to dispel that because the the, the with the public transportation you have to appreciate there is a freedom and that you do not have to have a vehicle. Sure. You just have to get on one with a bunch of other people. But there's also sort of a deprivation of freedom of space mm-hmm. because you're getting into, you know, confined quarters. And some people are just not accustomed to that. Midland, people like to have the, I don't know if you want to call it the three feet of space around you, but it's more like 15 feet if you're in a dually. <laughs> they want that personal freedom of their vehicle Mm -hmm. and to be able to go somewhere. But at the rate at which we're growing, I think we really ought to think about how are we going to improve traffic? If you look at other cities that build more roads, you're building more arteries for more traffic to come in. It solves the problem temporarily until more and more people come in and use those roads. And then you find that very same road has become a bottleneck. I'm a bit of a history buff, and I liked Rick Burns' documentary on New York City. There was a guy named Bob Moses that built a ton of public works, bridges, highways. And then when they did, in hindsight, a study of, did he really reduce the problem, or did he just make it greater? And so I think public transportation is really important in that if we look at Easy Rider, there can be improvements. What's one of the first basic ones? Comfort. I've actually waited outside (laughs) Loop 250 where HEB is for the Easy Rider to come around, and there's no shelter. Yeah, the shelter is a major issue with our listeners. You know, the weather out here is you never know what you're going to get. Could be one way when you walk in HEB and could be completely different when you walk back out. What do you think about partnering with like private companies who might want to advertise on bus shelters? Again, my experience in the places that I've lived, that makes a buck. Yep. It makes sense. But you have to have it there in order to capitalize on it. So there has to be a time where we make a decision as a city. Are we going to take advantage of these new possibilities of revenue streams so that we're not Putting the burden, the onus on property t- on property owners mm-hmm. and on property taxes. There are tons of sh- sh- revenue streams that other cities have found that Midland could find. We just have to get pointed in the right direction and have leadership that is willing to look at things from a different perspective. And I think there's a genuine opportunity for that next year. So there's been talk about building a new senior center. What are your what are your thoughts about that? Has to happen. Has to happen. We have a great number of baby boomers that are octogenarians. I believe they call it the silver tsunami is about to hit us. (laughs) Indeed. Dad, Um, are you listening? Yep. My grandfather's right up there. He just celebrated his 85th birthday. And... He is very fortunate in that he's still quite mobile. He's had a couple of knees replaced, but he's still able to walk around. But other people are not so fortunate. 
and other people are not so fortunate to have someone that can dedicate the time to really address those needs. I'm, I'm a bit of an anomaly myself in that when I decided to run, I spent a great deal of time going through my grandmother's newspaper clippings and letters that were written to her. And I got in touch with a lot of people like Ray Unterbrink, who ran MARC, Tom Scott. He lives at Manor Park now and he has had an, has an office downtown, doesn't practice anymore. But so many people from her era that I wanted to rekindle with and shocking that not so many of them are approached by candidates. I don't know if that's because the new median age of Midland is 30 to 35, but I put a lot of value in what I can learn from other generations that have gone through things that I think we can learn from and not repeat mistakes. But when I look at the, the senior center, we have to address that problem, acknowledge it exists, acknowledge that we're going to have more senior citizens and how are we going to care for them? I mean, but genuinely, how are we going to make sure that they're okay? Because when my grandfather is in a position where there is nobody there that will be be there for him, I want to make sure I'm putting into place some way to keep that from happening. Yeah. Yeah, that goes to quality of place, which is important and another city responsibility about quality of pla place is our parks department. You have some good parks over there in District 4. Do you have some thoughts about their ongoing maintenance and then any thoughts about new parks? I was talking to Kelly Cook, who is a parks designer. And it was an interesting conversation. I happened to be block walking and I noticed his yard and it was particularly nice. <laughs> and um, we had a good conversation about that. And he informed me that there really hadn't been a park put in Midland outside of the loop that was in recent memory. Yeah, the only one I can think of is the one where the G the the one kind of behind Lowe's, that's mm -hmm. in District 4, the Kelly Park. Mm -hmm. My son played football over there. But. We look at the existing parks. Let's figure out how can we maintain those? Because from some of the employees that I've spoken to, they go and maintain it on their own because the resources are not there. So, A, we need to take care of what we have. That's number one. B, we do need to genuinely look at how do we make Midland more welcoming to these families? If the median age is 30 to 35, they probably have families. They have young children. And they want to do things with their children. The movie theater is great. Bowling is great. But one of the things that I miss was just being outdoors. You know, when I took my son to Dennis the Menace, I remember that lion being there when I yeah, was a kid. Sure. And so now being able to take him to that park, it just feels great. But I don't think we have enough of those when you think about our population. And other cities have made that mistake. They have not put into place enough parks for the population. And that leads to other things. Now, I don't want to get into a whole study of that as to what's the value of it. I don't need numbers to tell you that parks make families feel welcome mm -hmm. and they make their children feel welcome. And that quality of place is something that we really do need to focus on. And granted, I'm biased. I have a boy and a girl at home. And so I have a bit of context on that. And if you don't have children, I think you're just not there yet. 
I agree. Young families use parks. You got the um, addition of the dog park out at Beale. So now we have two dog parks. So I'm a dog person. So that's good. But parks do make a difference for people in our city and also for visitors coming to our city. Mm-hmm. You know, if they. Um, I, I had our dogs out. We take them. Sometimes we'll go to Hogan and sometimes we'll go to Beale. And it's interesting when I run into people that are not from Midland walking around the park and the conversations that we have. And then com- the comparisons mm-hmm. of their resources in a city like Austin and the resources here. And that's one of those things. Midland has an image problem. Oh, definitely. When you think about the amount of money that comes out of this small patch, you know, uh, with legislative days with the chamber, we went to Austin and we were sitting out on the stairwell and Governor Abbott comes in and he says, it's nice to meet the people that pay the bills. That was validating because there is an understanding that a lot of funds come from this part, but we need more to come back. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay. So as a resident of District 4, what are some of your favorite places in your district and then in the city as a whole? So just what do you like about Midland? It's a long list. Well, and I have to say, now that I know you are connected to Golden Chick. I like the golden chick. <laughs> Actually, my um, our son, was, when he was at Midland High, a bunch of his friends took him there. And um, and then he took my husband. He was like, you have to try golden chick. It's awesome. <laughs> so golden chick is one of our new favorite, new old favorite places to go in Midland. So you can mention fast food. <laughs> well, the oven roasted chicken is my particular favorite. Everybody says that. I have to stay away from some of that fried stuff. And I tell you, I'll, I'll go into that in just a sec. But as far as some of my favorite places, some of the ones that are, for me, a bit of nostalgia. My wife's family, her cousin, they own Casa Lopez. And it's gone through a few different names. It used to be Gillies at some point. Mm-hmm. And so when I can sit down at a table with our kids that I sat down at when I was their age, it just brings back these a flood of memories and it makes me feel as if I'm doing the right thing by my children, that I am really devoting the great majority of my efforts towards what I'm doing for them. And it's something that I think all candidates should have is this concept of selfless service and not self-serving service. The decisions that we make on the council are for the district that we live in, but also for the city as a whole. You know, when you're up there on the dais and you're making decisions, you're not just, you shouldn't be just thinking about your district. Now, granted, because you live there and that's who votes you in, those have to be paramount. But in the back of your head, you should also be thinking, how does this affect everyone else? And that's the synergy that we need. Some other places that I like to go, Well, my new favorite one is Fire Station 7 out at the airport. I have been to every fire station in Midland. And I did what you would call a ride-along. They put me in the fire truck. And the fire truck in the airport is different from your regular fire truck because of what it has to address. And so they had this really cool articulating arm that has a way of penetrating an airplane and to put this liquid that puts out the fire. 
And so he was playing around with it and showing me how it works. And it looked like something out of Alien. The yeah, way I was, that it was say, moving that sounds around. like Alien. Mm-hmm. Aliens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when she's in the... Um, and my son loves fire engines. And so it was just really good to have an opportunity to talk to the men on the front lines, kind of like how I was in the military. You could not lead from behind. You had to lead by example and be up there where the metal meets the meat. And that was just, I really did enjoy that, spending time out there. And my son, of course, is biased because, you know, for Halloween, he's probably going to be dressed up as a fireman. (laughs) Um, They gave me their endorsement, the uh, Professional Firefighters Association of Midland, and I'm very grateful to them for that. It was an interesting conversation. They said, we can block walk for you and we can help you. What can you do for us? And I said, well, I have a master's in sports law. And he was wearing a cowboy shirt. And he says, okay, I like the cowboys, but how does that help us? I said, well, I wrote a thesis on collective bargaining agreements. <laughs> y'all are in a union. Y'all file grievances. Wouldn't y'all want someone with a receptive ear that has some experience in that field? Now, I wrote a thesis on the NFL Players Association's collective bargaining agreement with the NFL. But in labor law, a CBA is a CBA. And if you're familiar with it, well, yeah. it's good to have the city attorney, but... I probably have more knowledge in that particular field myself. Can you see a day when the city of Midland has curbside recycling? There has to be. There has to be. And I hate to keep making the reference to other cities that I've lived in, but it was cost prohibitive to continue dumping in a landfill because they ran out of land. Yeah. Um, In New York City, they eventually ran out of land to put it and they would put it on a rail car and send it off to Pennsylvania. And when that cost became so high, they instituted recycling. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think Midland needs to wait for that to happen. A, there are going to be a lot of, you know, proponents for not bringing recycling back and say, we have tons of land and tons of places to put this until we don't really. And that's when I talk about not leaving that briefcase full of bricks for my kids Why don't we do the right thing now? Why don't we start looking at how we can recycle and not being so wasteful now? Not five years, not 10 years, not leave it for my children to figure out. Because how hard is it to keep two bins or three? You can have plastic, you can have glass, you can have paper. It's really not that difficult if you just put in a little bit of an effort. Yeah. And that's what I try to teach my children. You know, meritocracy. You got to work for something. And why can't we work to make this a greener planet? Why can't we work on some of those things? You know, granted, we are in West Texas and there are certain things we're just not accustomed to. But there was a time when we weren't accustomed to wearing seatbelts either. Mm -hmm. But it's just the right thing to do. Well, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before we close up? Absolutely. We have a number of issues, really a plethora of them, that have to be addressed. And we need to focus on what those issues are, how to address them, so that way safety is paramount, quality of place is paramount, roads are paramount. I had a very unfortunate brush with death a couple of years ago. I was building pristine organic cleaners, and I was eating some chicken lo mein, and I choked on it. It went down my trachea instead of my esophagus. And unfortunately, I died. Um, My wife saw me turn blue, called EMS. 
She's too petite to perform the Heimlich, and we were at home. So EMS shows up, and they try to perform CPR. They can't bring me back. They get me to the hospital, and they finally get my heart going. They induce a coma. They put me on ice to mitigate the damage due to a lack of oxygen. But the prognosis was very grim. Uh, I had gone 25 minutes without oxygen. And they informed my wife that I'd likely be in a vegetative state. If I did ever wake up, I wouldn't be the same man. So she's there every day waiting. And one day I opened my eyes and she says, do you know who I am? And I was thinking in hindsight, that would have been a great opportunity for selective memory to forget <laughs> inconvenient truths. <laughs> like a movie. You could have been like, no, who are you? <laughs> but at the time, that was not, uh, no, I, was, I was just said, you're my wife. What happened? Yeah, what happened? There? How long were you in a coma? A little over a week. Wow. That is a long time. Mm-hmm. And so when uh, CBS 7 did a news piece on this and they said, well, let's find out, you know, what, what's the medical explanation? And there isn't one. It was pretty much just a miracle because you go that long without oxygen, you're not going to be in a good place. And and I can't account for as to why um, God gave me some extra time here to spend with y'all. But I have to think it's for a sense of purpose, that providence, that I have to look to serve something greater than myself. And that's really what drives me. I want to do as much as I can for our fellow man and for woman as well, and see what we can do to make this city greater. You know, I, I have these thoughts of what what am I leaving for my children? That really is one of those things in my head. And I think serving on the council will help me use my experience and the skill set that I bring, whether that's sports law or whether that's building a golden chick. A lot of those things are issues that need to be addressed now. And we need leaders that have the experience to make those decisions because we're going to have three new members on the council. And we're in a vehicle that's traveling. And it would not it would be a disservice to Midlanders to just hit the brakes on that vehicle and then have somebody else get in and try to figure out how to operate it. We can at least make sure that we get the ones with the best qualifications to do so. And that's really what I would hope that voters are informed and make the decision based on who's best for the job. Who can really get us through these times that are coming? There's a lot of growth coming. There's a lot of tax revenue coming. How are we going to spend it? Are we going to squander it for our kids? Or are we going to invest it wisely so that they can reap the benefits? Mm -hmm. And that's what's important to me. Thank you for sharing. And how can our listeners uh, get a hold of you or find out more information? I am very big on an open door policy. If y'all ever need to find me, typically Pristine Organic Cleaners is the place. You know, we had a question about this at a forum. Well, do you think there should be uh, your phone number should be made public? When my grandmother was on the council, there was a phone book. I don't know how many people remember those. And your number was in there and everybody could get a hold of you. So I don't see the big deal in not having my phone number out there or knowing where I am. And if I'm not there, my wife's there and my wife knows where I am. <laughs> um, but you can also go to Corrales for City Council. The one thing that I ask is for voters to hear me out and listen to what I have to say. And I think you'll find that a lot of people agree that's where we need to go. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks yeah, for joining thank us. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Thank you for joining us for Tall City Elections. 
a presentation of the League of Women Voters and the Recording Library of West Texas.